0: Okay, so we've got a a running mic here with Martin. So if anyone has anything to ask, if you wait for the mic to come to you, then it gets on the tape.
1: I'm aware that this is a very difficult subject. Um, I was married for 32 years, and for 25 of those, um, my husband was celibate. Now I didn't have a problem with that. But what the difficulty was in order to maintain that my husband could only do it by being cold and distant. Hmm. And there was that it it unfortunately it did destroy the marriage in the end although we're still great friends. Hmm. But there was that Forcing and believing, I think, from both of our parts, that this was something to aspire to in a spiritual life, mm. and um, and I think it has left a, a sort of sadness for us both. Huh. That that you know the aspiration was there, but. Unfortunately, he didn't work for us as a couple. Mm. So, yeah, and um, I think there's a difference of when there is a. What I picked up from when you were speaking, is that when there is a natural movement. And a, a different joy takes its place mm. is is very different, for when. Um, a couple um, who still wished to be householders, right. but still um, wished to further their um, spiritual journey.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm struck by the story of the two monks who came to a flooded part of a, of a road, and one monk up uh, a lady who was unable to cross and the other monk was actually really disturbed by this Mm. and challenged him Mm. much later Mm. and the monk said I left her at the actual crossing once they had crossed Mm. but he didn't actually feel the need to be distant or cold.
0: Uh, I think he also said, but you're still carrying her now or something. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is something, you know, we don't talk about it much, but uh. it has been a big part of my own life. And my, my husband wasn't a Buddhist, he was an initiate of Rad Swami, mm-hmm. but had a good heart and yeah. really wished this as part of his journey. Right. But it can go so terribly wrong.
0: Yes. Yeah. Certainly. So. Yeah.
1: So really, that yeah. Well, thank you for being so open share.
0: with the with the question or sharing. Um, yes, I wonder how it would have gone if you'd had a you know in a different culture or with a Buddhist rationale behind it, because uh, you know, I think it would have gone very differently. Yeah, you know, as I was trying to say in the talk, then you know it's something that you pick up with a particular purpose at a particular time, and if you pick it up in that way, then there isn't a need for a kind of cold distance. you know that the the change in perception is what is required. But then, that, that change of perception is something that requires support. You know, so, that, that change of perception is something that uh, creates a lot of the conditions of monastic life, or the modesty of it, and the kind of care around relations between the sexes is to maintain a particular perception, rather than a particular state. Uh, and If that perception is looked after, uh, then there's… Uh, if, it, if that route is taken as a practice, rather than one of the sense of trying to develop a state and maintain a state mind, or to, you know, to become more spiritual, to, to, to kind of uh, you know, develop a state and protect that state, uh, in some way, then this is the kind of thing that can lead to this kind of distancing or coolness or confusion. Uh, because the, the mind's not right back at the root cause of things. Uh, and things are not happening in a natural way. It's like a way of trying to I think what you entered into may be an extremely well intention and that intention is a very noble, powerful one, I think. Uh, Yet, if that's not entered into in the right way, then it's, yes, it causes problems. And so, I, you know, this is one <coughs> reason why, you know, saying in the talk how people are reticent to talk about these kinds of things, not just, also because, you know, uh, issues around sexuality tend to also to be fairly loaded, but, uh, but because there isn't really the kind of cultural norms to hold these kinds of practices or experiences. Uh, There's a danger that in Westerners can be very uh, intellectual about the practice, then they can enter into something from a, a very heady place rather than from the heart. Uh, and get the wrong, put the wrong thing first or not uh, try to push things along with ideas or ideals rather than you know, waiting for the fruits of the practice to lead you along uh, which as you were saying at the beginning of your question is a more joyous way of of going about it and a more mutual thing you know it's not not, not one person taking a stand against another, mm-hmm. uh, which is what your, your story seems to kind of suggest, um, but a more mutual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's true that you know, in your entire culture, then, it's not just monastics that practice celibacy. And you you'd meet people, couples in Bangkok. Particularly in the refined areas of, bank of Thai society, uh, where couples practice this, uh, and this is uh, this may be slightly different. It's a bit like you know, the Buddha talked about. Uh, occasionally, we talk about the practice of sexuality or sexual intercourse, in particularly as a as the practice of uh, village folk. Uh, and that, uh, you know, there was clearly a, it, it seems, a kind of level of refinement in, in society. Uh, uh, other circles where uh, sexuality was related to in a different way. So quite what he meant by, the wording is very different when he talks about uh, sexual intercourse being the coarse practice of village folk, the language is different. I'm not a Pali scholar but the Pali is different. So, you get a sense for something very coarse. Uh, was there something you wanted to ask based on that experience? Anything else more you wanted to ask?
1: I don't think so. I just wanted to share my Uh, practice, um, something, because we're here as lay people. Yeah. And um, so it would seem that celibacy isn't probably very, but because I've had my own experience, yeah, I know that it it can't just be aspired to. Yeah. Um, it, It does need, and I think through... As you were talking, I, I I sort of got a glimmer that it is actually moving from one state to um, another. Um, we have both since uh, continued to be celibate. It, it's a choice that we've both made. Right. It's just unfortunately within the relationship. it seemed only to be maintained by distance and coldness right yeah and um so i think that anybody who is actually trying to maintain Uh. celibacy but can only do so by actually keeping away from the opposite sex Uh. um i think there is probably That's not the way to do it, from my own experience.
0: Yeah, it can be be a necessary step. You know, you have to to establish uh, a a change of perception or to establish a practice to establish a kind of uh, substitute. And for then it to become a healthy, for a relationship between a monk and a, a lady to be a kind of healthy relationship. Uh, Yes, thank you very much for that. That's a very good perspective to add. Is anyone else want to? Yes. Yes. you hear me? Yes.
2: yes. Um, I'm constantly translating in my mind, so please excuse uh, if I don't get to the question I- immediately. Um, but I was trying to understand the abstraction that you talk about when you're getting from meditation to the samadhi and trying to look at the body uh, without, you know, taking your mind out of the body, that means it's not my body. So I try to relate that to the sotapanna, so on state, and right. say that I concept. Um, so I was, I was trying to understand that I'm sort of, uh, because I don't do that kind of meditation, so it's very difficult to realize it, yeah. uh, the, level of ab- ab- uh, the level of abstraction. But is that, the first question is, is that what you are trying to elude to, which is the prajna, and, which is wisdom, and the karuna, which is the compassion? That you get from um, getting rid of eye concept or try to try yeah. to see that from our, our outside. That was the first question. And the second one is that. Can we,
0: could, do you mind if I answer the first yes, sorry. one? Yes, <laughs> before, And then we go on to the second one. So, uh, in terms of. Uh, to answer that question in terms of another way of um, looking at progress in the practice, as the gentleman was asking about how this relates to spiritual attainment. Um, Then, if you look at the first three fetters uh, then one of these is self-view it's often translated as self-view and yet if you look at the Pali break down the Pali, sakaya ditti is uh, is the word and kaya means body so sat means established in kaya means body, ditti means view so it's a kind of established in the body view, that's a kaya much better translation of it than self-view uh, it's kind of seeing, not, uh, it's not seeing the body as self uh, but seeing the mind, seeing the mind is established in the body and reliant upon it, say something like that uh, and this, uh, these, this is one of the first three fetters, so this is what goes when you uh, enter the stream is uh, this one. And uh, the other the other two fetters, and they, they fall uh, when this one falls. Uh, Ajahn Chah's understanding. Uh, if you undermine uh, Sakai Diti, uh, then doubt, vichikicca, and attachment to rites and rituals, which are the other two the first three fetters fall because you understand the path of practice completely you see the path. you see the path is to let go of is to, to examine and to see clearly the relationship between mind and body uh, so your attachment to rites and rituals goes you're not just trying you're not just practicing emptily you're practicing meaningfully and your doubt also goes because you've seen the path So. Uh, Mr. Ajahn Chah uh, would emphasise psychiatry uh, in that way. So do you want the second question?
2: Yes, the second question is that um, since obviously you have experienced this state um, several times, I'm just want to ask you that: is your when you are not meditating, when you are not in the samadhi level, would you still be able to actually? Uh, to get into that state, without actually
0: being in that state? In samadhi. That's a good question. So, this gentleman is assuming that I've been in this state many times. <laughs> this is an assumption. Uh, but, you know, perhaps uh, this is for me to know and for you to find out, isn't it? <laughs> By asking the right questions. Uh, this is a good question. that. Uh, now, is this uh, knowledge there, so this, if this knowledge is related to the practice of samadhi, then is this knowledge there when the samadhi isn't there? That's a very good question. Uh, kind of is the answer. You know, that knowledge is fully there when the samadhi is present because the hindrances aren't there to obstruct it. And yet, if that truth has been seen for just a moment, and the mind has seen through to that. Then, even when the hindrances come back, it's like a cloud passing over the sun. You realize, oh yes, uh, the sun's gone in. So you know what state your mind's in. You know know for that moment there's an element of delusion in your mind because your mind is obstructed by the hindrances. So a mind that sees its delusion is not deluded in the same way, is it, as it was before when you didn't know you were deluded you know you're deluded it's different and you just have to, you have to say well yes uh, you know I, I need to put more attention into my Samadhi to to be able to see through again um, but at the same time it's not that you're buying things in the same way either you're really not buying things in the same way because because you've seen the truth you know you know then that you're in a deluded state uh, so you know, the states, the Samadhi states then, they are conditioned states, so uh, up until very late on in the path, uh, So your Samadhi is going to vary, um, your, your mindfulness, use uh, a different word, uh, your mindfulness is going to vary from one time to another. Uh, so the first thing to be clear of is to see well, how mindful you are. You know how mindful you are. Do you, yeah, do you mind taking the microphone because then it gets, on the, it gets on the tape if you...
3: Is that what's meant by somebody who's gone forth, who's realized a certain understanding? So you could, in fact, going forth isn't necessarily some big uh, celebrationary occasion, but it could be something that you quietly go into, a, a realization within yourself.
0: Kind of uh, go, going forth is, <coughs> you go forth with the intention to undertake the practice that I've been talking about. Mm. So if, if you go forth, either as a Samanera or, or a monk or a Siladara mm. in this tradition, then for all of those then you you accept a kamatana, which means a kamatana is a meditation object, it's you know, something that you, you keep bearing in mind, bringing back to mind, you use as a meditation object. And uh, in the Thai tradition then you, you use Kesa Loma Naka Danta Tacho. Well actually not, I mean this is part of any ordination. Uh, but this is very much, uh, it's put right in the middle of everything in the Thai. You know, it's emphasized. But it's part of any any monk or nun's ordination to yeah, take that, that. on.
3: I understand that, but I just thought that perhaps that you could, in fact, within your own journey or your own experience, quietly have a kind of a quiet understanding and realize that you, you know, you'd attain something, you've realized something, and then you could just carry on. Unless I was trying to... Think yeah, to you just ca-
0: the, yeah it? I mean, in this tradition, you don't boast about it. No, no, don't boast about it. You just carry no, on. No, you don't,
3: but I'm here yeah. to ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not suggesting I've got that, but it, Yeah for clarification yeah yeah okay uh, yeah thank you
0: yeah behind you oh, straight behind on. you
4: um, I think one's just a little tidy up of something that's still ruffling in my mind from the yeah. thai, the issue about Tai Chi yeah and then I wanted to ask another question uh-huh. so when you said that the Arjun you spoke to said um, you're playing with Samadhi
0: I yeah, then kind p- of Yes.
4: Yeah. Um, I was thinking, is, I'm afraid my understanding of Smadhi is probably wrong, as one pointedness. Uh-huh, yeah. I'd had a similar query about Tai Chi, actually. Uh-huh. And, um, But what you, I think, were pointing to was the bigger mind in which you can look at the body. But in that bigger mind, and, and you can sometimes go into that in Tai Chi. Yes. Uh, and in that, you have let go. I think that was what you're saying. Isn't yes, it? yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, is, there, is my understanding of Samadhi as one-pointedness a wrong understanding?
0: Uh, no. Uh, well, one-pointedness is one of the factors that takes you in. Ah. Oh, uh, okay. okay. But so you see, concentration, your one-pointedness on something that takes you in. But then uh, that one-pointedness becomes a kind of. Um, Steady state. Well, it's if if you imagine that you develop your one-pointedness on an object, mm. but then that one-pointedness can can become fixed, yes. so that then it takes any object yes. that comes into your attention. Yes. You know. So the state of samadhi is one in which the one-pointedness has become established, so that therefore anything that you pay attention to, you pay one-pointed attention to.
4: Right. So is that, that's still not quite the bigger mind then?
0: Uh, is it like
4: a steady, it?
0: a steady state? Uh, if, it is, if, it, if It would be a bigger mind if, that, if the mind would, had entered into a, a space, say, then, mm. you know, like uh, through uh, the Brahma Viharas, for example, you know, your mind enters into space, into a larger space then that's, that you might say, is the larger mind. Mm.
4: Okay. Yes. So that was that question. And yeah. That, um, thank you for that. Um, you alluded to the chakras, but I wondered whether there is an area which you didn't talk about, and I wondered how overtly that was covered if you were leading a monastic life, which is of energy, sexual energy, changing and moving right. in the body and kind of affecting, yeah, affecting yeah. the balance of the body in that yeah. way.
0: Well, there are, there are all these systems, you know, this yogic system is an example of the chakras then. These are systems which have been developed around these kinds of practices, isn't it? Someone takes on celibacy and meditation and then they develop a way of explaining how things happen. what's happening. Um, So most of these involve uh, talking about energies of one kind or another. Um, So the chakras are kind of energy. It's the same as chi is a moving one and the chakras is kind of points of, centers of energy within the body. Uh, But in my mind this is misleading in a number of ways. and it's mostly to do with language. Uh, that if you see these things as energies, then they, they, they take on a kind of physical, mechanical quality. Whereas these things are actually not of that nature. Uh, and to, to start going into what they are, you know, you talk about them as emptiness, you start talking about emptiness, you make, you make emptiness into something. Mm. isn't it so it's mm. a lot of these things are a, a problem of language um, so in this culture then just the way we describe things can lead us astray mm. uh, which is why it's it's very useful to you know, live in a Buddhist country and to see how these things are described within that culture and to learn the language not that my Thai is very good but but uh, uh, Tie is a very good example uh, of a language which is developed around spirituality in which there's a completely distinct vocabulary mm. for these kinds of phenomenon which they're not mechanical words, not words, same words that he used to describe physical phenomenon. So you know, the same thing would apply to uh, psychic abilities, for example, which you know, I just mentioned it's the other day. and uh, to somebody, and they said, Oh, surely you don't mean psychic powers. You know, like mm-hmm. this. And they said, Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I said to him, Well, yes, but you know, and I know I realized that, you know, when I was young, the psychic powers were all about, you know, con people with, you know, con men in crystal balls mm-hmm. in fairgrounds, was my mm-hmm. kind of idea of it, you know, tarot cards. And to me, it was all, you know, uh, I had it all dismissed in my mind. Uh, or it was either that or it was something very spooky and dark and kind of scary like voodoo or something Um, and these are all the kind of traps we can fall into if we make an overlap between these kinds of states and and or other states Uh, we don't see the difference between emptiness and the contents of the mind which is the first discrimination that we need to make as practitioners is between the empty mind and the things within it Mm -hmm. and see these things have different ways of operating the emptiness and the things within it the chitta and the sankharas have a different nature different way of operating they both have a different way of operating from physical things so there's a famous Zen story where A monk is asked, "Well, there's a goose in a bottle, and uh, the neck of the bottle is too small to get the goose out of the bottle. How do you get the goose out of the bottle? You can't smash it because you'd hurt, you'd harm the goose. How do you get the goose out of the bottle?" Anyone want to have a go? (laughs) (laughs) The answer from the Zen master is, "The goose is out of the bottle." (laughs) <laughs> yeah. If you're talking about things of the mind and of perception, then you're talking about a different thing to the things of physicality, isn't it? And it's so easy to confuse the two. You know exactly what we can do around these kinds of things is to confuse the two. Whereas if you don't, you know, there can be the most completely simple solution. Uh, or the, just a different perception is the solution. Uh, so this, this story rather well describes how if you have a different perception of the relationship between the body and the mind, how things are transformed in an instant. And it's not that we're doing something or you know, that we're channeling our energies in a different way. Although these can be useful ways of talking about it up to a point, uh, we'll end up with something stuck in a bottle or you know, we'll end up we'll end up um, limiting ourselves. You know, all these skillful means, you can see all these things are skillful means, yoga, tai chi or something. You know, but we just end up in a prison through it, one kind or another. Because we've we've conceptualized something. You're talking about the big mind, where as soon as you conceptualize something then your mind has entered into something small through its conceptual nature. And so the Buddha would say, you know, somebody apparently told the Buddha, well, uh, you know, his idea was that the mind is everything. And said, so what, what, the Buddha's response was, what an incredibly stupid view. Why is that the most incredible view? He said, this is the most incredibly stupid view. Why is it the most incredibly stupid view? because the view of it is this big and what he's talking about is everything. So it's making everything this big. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Uh, so this is where you know, we can think, we can wonder about uh, you know, where thinking or philosophizing comes in the practice, but where it, where it enters as deeply into us that it becomes perception, formation of perception. It can radically form what's happening. Uh, so, to have a clear perception of what we're doing, when we're doing something like Tai Chi or yoga, then to have a very clear perception of what's happening can become fundamental. Uh, and uh, the practices that people, you could struggle away at something for years and years and years, <laughs> and you go, Oh, I think I've got a little bit of chi, there it is. Uh, can just be totally radically transformed. Uh, but through seeing something in a different way, or just through complete sincerity uh. so you know, I' practiced Tai Chi for about twenty years when I had an experience of one day I was I was walking and uh, I was completely exhausted I'd had this, had a whole run of bad events and uh, disasters actually in my life and I was so exhausted I just said to myself, gosh. You know, if I fall down right now, I just fall down, I give up. You know, that's it, I give up. Uh, and as soon as I thought that, then I had this very strong sensation arise at my crown chakra, which is what I've been looking for through my Tai Chi for about 20 years. <laughs> uh, I got these little glimmers of, oh yeah, there's, I think there's a little kind of tickle there, you know. <laughs> I think I'm doing all right. But when I really let go, you know, that's all that was there to hold me up. It was a totally different ball game. Uh, so that's what, you know, we have to take ourselves to the point of completely letting go with absolutely no hope of anything. Uh, that's where the big fruits come. And the thing that we need to let go of most of all is the body. That's the fundamental one, that's the big one. You know, we can work up to it with all the other little letting goes, which, you know, forced on you in monastic life where you have to, you know, let go of little things. Well, sometimes not little things, sometimes big ones. But uh, You know, you're working up to letting go of the big one, which is the body. Anyone else? You got any Tai Chi Yoga people mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. From this lady. Yeah. Um can you hear me?
5: Yes. Yeah. Um I'm not uh, terribly proficient in yoga or tai chi, Um, but my mother always did yoga and I used to go with her. And when she died, I couldn't do it. It made me feel too sad, Uh. so I started going to tai chi and I was a disaster. I have found it really hard. I just Uh. couldn't remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I found it terribly yeah. profound at the same time because, and like now, I do different uh, practices which I won't go into. But what struck me was it was the most amazing form of honesty that I'd ever encountered. Because uh-huh. I find lying, I'm a fluent liar, even without thinking, I, I can, be, I can <laughs> find myself lying. and I'm not proud, but I just do it all the time. The people who know me know I often say, oh no, actually, it wasn't like that. I don't know why I said that, but um, with I found with um, those practices, there's no possibility of lying because Uh, you're up up against it. Right. But when you say about forgetting about your body, um, I want to say that in those practices I can see that. But when you talk about sexual practice, I find that ever so different because um, it kind of I've always sort of wondered. Whether, to be a monastic person, you have to be already a cool sort of customer. All right. But then, um, uh, when having listened to Arjun Sumedho, he doesn't strike me as cool at all. Quite uh, the opposite. <laughs> fiery and yeah, fire. full of life. Yeah. So uh, listening to him, I was encouraged to think, no, you could be fiery and full of life yeah. and still
0: want to practice. Yeah, can I can I jump in there and yeah. just answer that bit because that's a very important point. Well, that's but really what I want to That say. is okay, yeah. Um, yes, you can you can still be fiery and full of life. Um, I'm not feeling like that right now. <laughs> uh, but you can be. <laughs> uh, and certainly you know someone like poor Somato is a great example of that. Uh well that the reason that and if you see that then that shows us something very important that that uh the cool, this kind of coolness of mind that I'm talking about is is beyond the kind of conditions in the mind. It's the it's the thing that they float around in, is what we're talking about. So you can still have uh passions uh definitely. Uh, and that 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 your passions can become directed into a different place. So uh it's a common misperception that if you lead a celibate life that your passions kind of die on you, but they that's that that can be if you lead it in an unskillful way, but if you lead it in a skillful way then that's not that's not the case. The Buddha says, there isn't such a thing as sexual energy which is just going to die if you don't uh, keep it going. Uh, uh, His take is that there's a a life energy which can go in that direction or it can go in another direction. Uh, And so a lot of these uh, yogic and tai chi practices are designed to take that energy in a different direction. Uh, So it doesn't mean that you have to be a cool kind of guy. Uh, but there's different kinds of coolness as well, isn't there? There's a, you know, there's a, there's a hip kind of coolness and there's a, <laughs> there's a withdrawn and cold kind of coolness. And as I said in the talk, you know, the, the, you know, one reason why people shy away from talking about these kinds of things, I think, is that it's very hard to understand the kind of state of mind that you arrive at unless you've experienced it. Uh, And the fact that it it is, at one point it's a kind of universal state of mind and yet it can have a very individual manifestation from one person to another. Or um, just how pleasant these things are. Uh, But that there can be a, that people can't find it difficult to understand how there could be a warmth in relationships without sensuality. And yet to me that's just tying the two together uh, you know, I actually have you know, experienced more warmth in my relations with with other people through the celibate life because there's a kind of a safety a boundary you know, that means that you can be warm without without thinking that it's going to go in a in a direction that you in, in, a, in some uh, go down the trammel, so to speak. Uh, it's kind of warmth with freedom, rather than warmth, with warmth that just gets hijacked by something, hijacked by something outside of it. Uh, Gandhi thought like this. I mean Gandhi tried for very many years to lead a celibate life, wasn't very good at it. He's married and uh, he said that to him, then he, he uh, saw for himself that that his life could be unconditional if he led the celibate life whereas if he was if he when he was engaged in the relationship then his love became more conditional as a result uh, he became more attached to a particular person loving a particular person rather than everybody <laughs> uh, you know the ideal of the the monastic life the celibate life is to to love everybody and you know, the Buddha was asked how, you know, how can a monk be, be happy in a celibate life? And he'd expect to say, well, because you get jhanas and samadhi and all these you know, loved great things result. Uh, what he said on this occasion was, well, because he can see every lady as his sister. That's how a monk can be happy in the celibate life. You see everyone as his sister. thank you sister Uh, anybody else (laughs) I am real (laughs) I'm not very well but I'm still real (laughs) yeah I've had I slipped a disc so this is why I'm kind of lounging and As a lesson in body awareness. So when a friend of mine heard that, he said, Well, they, they, here we are mindfulness of the body, practical. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's a great lesson for me. You know, I, I usually sit meditation for about, before I slipped a disc, you know, I was sitting meditation for at least six hours a day, something like that. I haven't been able to sit meditation for six months. <laughs> so, uh, a great lesson. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you really. I mean, you really come to understand what states you develop. Uh, related to physical health and well-being uh, uh, and what aren't. Um, as a better example actually within my own life is that 10 years ago the first time I injured this particular disc in a, quite a bad tractor accident. I was just a junior monk at Chithurst and uh, I just come out of one of the best retreats of my life and uh, meditation was going great and uh, but uh, I was in absolute agony that time I'm not in so much pain this time but I was in absolute agony that time and there was just one quality of mind that didn't that just was untouched by the pain just one uh, so to me that's the important one you know that's been lifted out as whatever else is happening you know whether it's samadhi or no Samadhi or what, Brightness of mind or no brightness of mind, whatever else there is or isn't, that's the one. This knowingness is the one. Uh, so that was an extremely useful experience, valuable experience. Because now, although uh, you know, otherwise you could get carried away. You know, you could have a great retreat, or go off to Thailand. I've done this. You know, go off to Thailand, come back all shining. <laughs> And start giving talks about samadhi, and everyone gets all excited, and then you know you, something like this happens, and <laughs> you know you can't shine at everybody anymore. You know you were all inspiring six months ago, and now, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know you begin to realise what's really important. You know is this is wisdom underneath things, wisdom and compassion. So. You know, for me at the moment, then you know to to be able to continue to be compassionate and to have the patience to do my exercises and hang upside down and all the things that I do every day to keep myself from getting all these neurological symptoms um, the patience that's required for that, you know that uh, rather than trying to get away from the whole thing or <laughs> but also uh Realising that that the wisdom element is the thing that I can abide in. Uh, that's the thing where you can sit, you can sit in, and you're all right. You know, despite the fact that you're a bit dozier than usual, or whatever you are, uh, you've got you still got your refuge. Now that's where the refuge is, not in any of the states or conditions that arise out of it or uh, contribute to it this is a kind of the lesson that you get as you get older uh, but uh, you know t- on the other hand you know that the you know the other thing that I would say in relation to this is that you know if you get your Samadhi while you're young which is what you know longda Mahabur tells all these monks out there in Thailand you know, get it while you're young <laughs> because you won't get it when you're older uh, his body starts falling apart and that uh, yeah, that was that's an ele- that's another element to this. that's a very it's an important element to this t- this uh, arising of this knowing quality. And I don't know how you would would arise without it. So
2: yeah, anything else oh, over here so, oh yes. yeah
0: yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Would you say that it was important for a lay Buddhist couple to become celibate?
0: Well, only if it's a natural thing to do. You know, it's like you know, what this lady was, was saying earlier that you have to be very careful not to do it from a point of an idea or a. I mean, it, it can be. Uh, you know, it shows incredible commitment to do it from that point, but um, the. the The natural way to do it is to follow the fruits of the practice so that if your meditation is good uh, as a couple, then you lose interest. (laughs) That's the natural way for it to happen. If it doesn't happen like that, then you try to force it, then it doesn't really work one way or another. You know, you you can be good for a while and then you, you weaken if you've got nothing else. Uh, you know, the mind, mind will always look for a source of pleasure and we shouldn't we shouldn't judge the mind for that. We shouldn't judge the mind for that. Mind, you know, The mind is a pleasure seeker. Uh, we, sh- we shouldn't judge the mind for that. It's a bad, bad thing to do, and a skillful thing to do. Uh, we're just, in the spiritual life, we're just looking for our pleasure in a different place. I mean, it's not that we're denying ourselves. So you see uh, you know, the Thai people who come here always get to try and encourage people to look at how happy they are. You know, they, are very, they've, they really understand the natural path of spirituality, they're not forcing it on themselves. Uh, Westerners are so good at picking up the ideas and then trying to force something on themselves, rather than letting it come naturally, be patient and let it come naturally. Uh, and they're very good at. The Thais are very good at uh, uh, enjoying themselves in the spiritual practice, in one way or another, and not just in terms of Samadhi or something. But but you know, if you go to somewhere like Thailand, you'll see uh, Buddhist everything. You know, you see Buddhist dance or Buddhist theatre or whatever, Buddhist cross-dressing <laughs> competitions, <laughs> uh, all kinds of things. You know. Absolutely you know, Thailand is not a stuffy place, <laughs> you no know, it's not Victorian, is it? I mean it's not got a reputation as a Victorian country. <laughs> it's quite the opposite uh, uh, but it's a disadvantage for us in the West that we don't we haven't experienced that so our our view of Buddhist practice tends to boil down to things like meditation and uh or mindfulness or something like that. We haven't got such a broad view, where we we can really—I um, never mind sexuality, but maybe you know, painting. You know, it's like Buddhist painting. You know, sometimes these wonderful Buddhist painting or cartoons. You know, I paint cartoons now. as one of something. You know, while I've been laid up, you know, I've just—I've got into painting uh, cartoon Dhamma talks. While I've been lying there, <laughs> uh, it's absolutely great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I should do my backing more often. <laughs> <laughs> Oops! I've oh, messed it up now. I'm terribly untechy. Um, uh, few. <laughs> uh,
5: so, so the, the last part I wanted to ask was: if you're at a different stage in your
1: Buddhist path then obviously the communication would be the key, wouldn't it, to keep a marriage together and growing when one person was perhaps, well, it sounds further along the Buddhist path, if you know what I mean. Yeah.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because the, the marriage could get a little bit, or the union could get a little bit out of sync, and strained, or something. Yes,
0: yes. Well, I say, well, that's that's an idea that I was trying to. I told this story about the king earlier, the king and queen, because that's another one that you know, people think. Well, if if one member of the of a partnership takes on celibacy and the other one doesn't, then this isn't going to be much fun, is it? You know? Um But in that example, then that wasn't the case. That as soon as this lady. Uh, got to a point where she wasn't interested in anymore. Her husband wasn't either. Um, so, but you know, he was the king, you know, who <laughs> whether he's got other avenues, I don't know. But certainly in modern Asian society, you know, it's not like uh, you know, other other arrangements get made, I think. You know the, the take on the, the precept around sexuality in somewhere like Thailand is that that uh, if you stick to, if you stick to an arrangement, you know, just about any arrangement <laughs> between consenting adults, uh, then you're within the precept. Uh, so there's all kinds of things going on. <laughs> they got they got a lovely attitude in some ways. I mean, one thing one story I often tell is that. Um, in Thailand, then a, a gay man is considered to be uh, a woman's heart in a man's body. So that person is called she. And they're identified by the sex of their heart, their chitta, not the body. I think that's lovely. You know, that's so. That's always spirituality enters right into society, or into a perception of what things are. And obviously, you know, a gay woman is also and a gay woman is a man's heart in a woman's body. You now, these things happen. You know, you get mistake at the moment of conception, get the wrong, you get the wrong kind of body, or well, I don't know if you say it was wrong or what. But uh, uh, they believe that that's that's the way it happens. But it leads to an incredibly kind of liberal attitude towards sexuality. Uh, my brother is in in Bangkok and. Uh, he met a, a soldier on parade who was in full women's makeup. And uh, it just happened that, that after the parade he, had, he was going straight to a cross-dressing competition. <laughs> he didn't have time to put on his makeup between one thing and another. So there he is on duty in Bangkok in full women's makeup and nobody's turning, nobody's batting an eyelid. <laughs> and so the, the ordinate, people who are ordained are, are considered the third sex, who so says three sexes in Thailand, male, female, and ordained. <laughs> it's a very down-to-earth, practical way of looking at it, actually. We're just kind of out of the picture. <laughs> But it's out of the picture, it's about right. (laughs) Uh, Anybody else? I'm glad I got away with this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, my friend, a monk friend of mine, was a, he was in Australia with Ajahn Brahm teaching at a, a talk with Ajahn Brahm and uh, he was just sitting there next to the big teacher and this very pretty young lady stormed up to him and just said, I know you think my body's disgusting but I think you're completely sick. <laughs> If you'd ever met the monk that that happened to, he was the shyest, you know, (laughs) poor man. (laughs) Uh, But I was joking with other one of the other monks before I came into this, and and saying to him, you know, this is exactly the kind of thing that you want to dispel, you know, Uh, kind of sense of uh, you know people being negative about something. Uh, if you can't understand celibacy as a positive choice in your life, then it's always going to be a negative thing. And I would advise anybody that thinks about taking it on, to take it on as a positive choice and to understand fully what they're doing, you know, and what what the mechanisms are, you know, what, how the mind works around this. Not to say that all the monks and nuns are ordained here know all that, you no, know, they don't. People come and people are dying for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but, uh, particularly as lay people, I would have thought, you know, important to take it on uh, as a clear, conscious, positive choice and to realize that it's something you can do for a lifetime or for an afternoon, you know, or for an hour. Uh, In time, honestly, people would do it for the day. If once a fortnight, you go, you take the eight precepts. I used to do this when I was a layman. I was on the turn, then I'd have a practice day, or if that didn't work, on a Sunday, I'd have a practice day. And uh, I'd tell my girlfriend to stay away and (laughs) and, uh, practice. <clears throat> Anyone else? I've still got a bit of juice left. don't know how to end these sessions. How do you end them? Perhaps you could could just repeat it into the microphone, please.
4: Um, I'm still quite interested in the the movement of sexual energy. If you are restraining it, if you're not letting it out, and whether you get guided in that or whether that's something you just learn and observe and it takes itself forward in a different way. We don't
0: get guided in that, particularly. I mean some some monastics know about yogic practices but then you have to be careful with that rationale that you're, you know, to identify a sexual energy is already a misperception of what is happening. There is no such thing as sexual energy. Your sexual sexuality arises dependent upon a perception. So there isn't such a thing. There's life energy that gets drawn into sexuality through sexual perceptions. So.
4: Is there something that happens when you you work with the emotional area and empty out the heart? Can something come then into the heart?
0: Uh, explain to me how that's related to the, what we were just saying.
4: Well, um, i and Blushing. Uh, <laughs> I did have a more intense period of practice at a much earlier time in my life.
2: Yeah.
4: And I was really working very hard with everything that arose. Yeah. And letting it pass. And the, it. it um, it felt I was very empty, very clear, very empty, full of energy. And I did find that there was a, like, um, <clears throat> in the sexual area, there was suddenly a very fierce, pure kind of energy sensation. Right. And it kind of bolted into the heart. And my rationale for that after the event, it's like, you know, I suppose, to put it crudely, it was like an orgasm in the heart, very pure though, very very Mm. intense. And afterwards, I thought, how, what happened there was that because I'd kind of emptied myself out in some way, so Uh. so sexual energy was changing and moving. And is that kind of what one would expect if you were living a whole life like that rather than maybe Mm. having an intense period?
0: Mm. I think there's also a difference between what you're saying and a kind of monastic sense of it. Uh, the, mm. I mean, if the pleasant feeling, the pleasant feeling of uh, Samadhi, for example, is I would describe as the opposite to an orgasm. If an orgasm is something that that involves a kind of contraction of the mind like a kind of squeezing or holding kind of sensation, then the pity or uh, rapture that arises through uh, samadhi is the opposite, it's an opening. So what confuses me about your story is is that you're describing something which would sound, on one level, like a a practice samadhi kind of experience, and yet there's one element of it that doesn't have that kind of character. Um, so I'm not quite sure how to reply to you. I mean it it, <coughs> it is it is very useful, though. I mean, that's a useful one to touch on because it's very useful to make this distinction between a uh, kind of physical pleasant feeling and mental or uh, spiritual pleasant feeling that they are of a different character, they're in different directions totally different so I have to confess I can get a bit I, I don't think that for some monks to say that you know, jhana is better than sex I think is a kind of strange thing to say really or uh, unskillful thing to say in my eyes because it's compa- it's putting it's comparing things which are in opposite directions to one another uh, it might be true in the sense of one thing being ultimately more pleasant or longer lasting you know the the other, <laughs> the other uh, question next to why celibacy was is enlightenment better than sex, which nobody wanted to <laughs> talk to, not un- understandably love. Uh, but you know, you could be a very short answer, couldn't it? So, well, it's, uh, I don't know, but it lasts longer. <laughs> 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 uh, and one of the great Chinese masters, <laughs> one of the great Chinese master says, if you want to be happy for a year, get married. If you want to be happy for a lifetime, plant a garden. If you want to be happy forever, cultivate the Dhamma. Uh, So you're not making a judgment about these things in the short term either. You know, we don't need to make that judgment. Uh, Because how long do these things last? How long do our bodies last? It's always coming back to that rather than trying to make a judgment on another level. Isn't it? You know, say, okay, well there's this pleasant sensation, you know, there's this lovely relationship, but how long is it going to last? It's not to say that these things are wrong or bad or lesser. They're only lesser because they don't last. That's the way in which they're lesser. And that's such an important perspective to keep ploughing back in. Because otherwise we can just become kind of fundamental yogis or something. Or fundamental meditators, you know, John is better than sex. Ah. You know, it's like fundamentalism in my eyes, something like that. Uh. And it's called idealism. Yeah. Idealism, something like that. Uh. If you haven't, you know, if it's it's fundamentalism, if you've had Samadhi, and maybe it's idealism. If you haven't, and both are very destructive things. Uh, the this practice can go an awful long way but it can take a very long time. Now, people underestimate two things. They underestimate how incredible it is but they also underestimate how difficult and how long a path it is. Uh, you know, if, if you're if, uh, you know, in a situation uh, where you know, you're in a relationship and you, you know, celibacy is not an option, you know, then in Thailand then they would just be taking this as oh well uh, you know next life you know you know if I, if I keep the faith and uh, uh, keep the precepts, uh, then maybe I'll find the conditions later. There's this kind of patience, long-term view just diffuses so much of the kind of aggravation that can happen around these kinds of things is to see the long-term view. Uh, this thing isn't a quick fix. It's not a quick fix, and which can be you know that's where the disappointment might be for some people. But you know, you you go and meet a great master, you know, like Lompoul Samato or Lompoul Liam, Ajahn and Nun. You're going to want it. Uh, I Want to be like them, I'd love to be like Ajahn and Nun or Lompoul Liam, the most incredible people I've ever met. The shadow of a doubt. But I realize, well, maybe it can take maybe it's going to take lifetimes. And then you talk to them and they can see that they've already been practicing for lifetimes to get where they are. So we can't push it or force it. You know, we have to just keep cultivating. The word cultivation, you know, Ajahn Chah used to talk about how uh, Westerners would would misunderstand and they think, well, if he gave the analogy of a plant, and he said, uh, you know, well, if you're growing a plant, and you give it water, and you give it light, and you give it all the conditions it needs, and then you watch it grow, and you enjoy. So Westerners, they just they grab a hold of the plant and try and pull it to, <laughs> to make it grow. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very much an indirect cultivation. You know, it's not fixing your mind you know, you're changing your perceptions, that fixes your mind for you. Uh, you're cultivating meditation, it fixes your mind for you. It's not a direct approach, it's a patient cultivation, like growing a bonsai tree or something. You know, a little bit of water, snip here and there. You know. Gradually, gradually watch it grow. It has to do it, you know, just apply the right conditions and you watch it grow. So many of the ways in which we go wrong when we around this kind of body thing as much as anything else is that we're forcing it some way or another, rather than letting it take its natural course. Uh, we, we can also judge ourselves for looking for pleasure. You know, we need to we look for pleasure in our spiritual lives and just follow that to the next step. enjoy one thing, uh, find something that you enjoy, you know, whether it's a uh, meditation or service or whatever else it is and you find a way in something that you enjoy and uh, then, then you follow that. Uh, watch the ties and you know, watch how they come here and they you know they they cook food, they bring it, they offer it, they say thank you, they wash it up, they say thank you and they go, and they're happy very you know, they got their they've got their practice onto a really solid basis of generosity kindness uh, no, unconditional love they're not looking at us going is that what's that monk like what's he up to <laughs> yeah. and they feed anyone they feed everyone who comes here yeah. this is a kind of, this is where our practice finds its proper basis in this kind of uh, love generosity so, if we're always going to our, pra- our, our practice looking for something, uh, then we've not got the right basis. You have to turn it around; it becomes a, a kind of giving, uh, giving first, then giving up. Would be a good summary of it. You start off with giving, and you end up with giving up. <laughs> If you think that you know this kind of samadhi you know, is out of the out of the ball game, you meet some you, know, you have some incredibly pure people come here, and one of the other monks was describing to me the other day how this Sri Lankan couple turned up, an incredibly moral, hardworking, pure people, and they just said to him, "Well, you know, sometimes I joke when I sit down to meditate, my body disappears and everything disappears, and there's this big bright light. Is that all right?" <laughs> yes, yes, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and this is the basis dana, Sila uh, Samadhi, practice of Samadhi and then finally Panya wisdom. And it's a, you know, a group like this shows that you know the, the thing that the Westerns are interested most in is the wisdom element you know we're asking about the wisdom element. and that's fine you know you got you start sorry start where you start. Uh, you see, well, is this makes sense? Does this make sense as a way of looking at the world? Can I see the world like that? Uh, but then, there, you know, this needs to lead on to taking the precepts and all the other supportive practices. You know, otherwise, you're just pumping up a tie and you get into just into meditation, it's like you're pumping up a tie, it's got a whole lot of holes in it. You're so intent on pumping, You're not seeing the holes in it. So you learn how to pump, pumping, pumping away. Why isn't this tyre going up? It's because it's got a whole lot of holes in it. Like my practice used to have. (laughs) Right, okay, I think that's enough. I've got to go off to Maidstone now. Teacher retreat. So, thank you very much.